We're glad you stuck around today, and uh, I realize it is nap time. And I recently read that if you tell the people a story, they'll listen ten times as hard as they would if they weren't listening to a story. So we're going to talk about a story from the Old Testament this afternoon. And it surprised me with the songs that we sang this afternoon. They all had a central theme, that sometimes when, when life gets tough, we could always go to God, and we could always look up, and we could always go to the scriptures and hear the voice of Jesus in the scriptures. And that was the main theme of the four songs that we have sung so far. And that kind of ties in with our sermon this afternoon. And what I want to do, take us all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to spend pretty much most of our time here this afternoon with Elisha and his servant and what happens with both of these men. What I want to do is just take an excerpt from this, beginning of verse number 15, on to verse number 17. And when the servants of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servants said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I'm going to stop there, and we're going to talk more about detail about this, this remarkable event uh, and see God's power displayed and see what applications we could take from this event. Before we do, let us pray at this time. Within the context here, God's people, the people of Israel, had a constant enemy. It was uh, the Israelites were, were constantly having to watch out for the Syrians. The Syrians had a practice of raiding Israel, and I, I mean just taking them by surprise as often as they could. Now, sometimes during these events, these raids and battles happen due to the Israelites not following God's law. And so what God would do is that he would use the Syrians as, as kind of his force to punish his own people. And hopefully that they would learn from that punishment to turn back to God. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, due to their own hearts. There are other times where when God's people were attacked that God showed his love upon them by protecting them uh, from defeat. And one of the ways he did this is by sending his prophets among his people to help guide them and to help warn them about what lies on the horizon. And such prophets were, were uh, great men of old like Elijah, like Hosea, Amos, and Elisha here in our context. But being a prophet of God did not mean that, it didn't necessarily mean that your life was going to be easy. In fact, on several occasions for a prophet, there were some dangerous times within that prophet's life. And this is exactly what happens in this particular moment in Elisha's life here in 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, I'm only going to summarize uh, the scriptures that are up here, I encourage you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to kind of summarize what happens between verses 8 and 23 for time's sake. 
So here in verse number eight, we see that the king of Syria, at this particular time, he is at war with the king of Israel. And during this time, the king of Syria, he would, he would meet up with his officers and discuss, okay, where's our next plan of attack? Where are we going to put our troops so that we could take, so that we could raid Israel again? And so this would happen, so that they would do the surprise attack to Israel. And while all this was going on, Elisha, who's the man of God that is identified in our text here, what he would do is that he would send word to the king of Israel saying, now don't send your troops to such and such a place because the Syrians plan on being there. And so we'll just stay away from that area. And so Elisha would send this message over to the king of Israel. And so the king of Israel, he would send some spies and go out to that land that Elisha said, don't go. And sure enough, the Syrians were going to be there. And it happened time and time again. Elisha was right. And it wasn't because of Elisha's wisdom that he knew the Syrian army like this or the, or the king of Syria. Syria. It was because he had this wisdom or this knowledge from the Almighty God that was providing it to him so that his own people could be saved from these Syrian attacks. And so this was going on. And word got back to the king of Syria about how the Israelites knew that the Syrians were coming. And the king of Syria, oh man, he got mad. And so he gathered up all of his men and said, okay, which one of you is a spy? Which one of you is working for the king of, of, of Israel? I want to know because I'm tired of us not being able to take Israel by surprise. Well, one of those soldiers said, I know what's going on. He said, there's this prophet over there in Israel. In fact, Elisha is his name. And this is what's going on. When we're making all these plans to go out to battle, Elisha knows where we're going to be. In fact, he goes on to say, he even knows the secret things that you say in your bedroom. That's how much Elisha knows about what is going on over here in Syria. And so the king of Syria thought, okay, well, what we need to do is get Elisha out of the picture so that we can be successful against Israel. And so they got to thinking, okay, where are we going to find Elisha? Well, I don't know if it's the same soldier or, or a different soldier. They said, well, I, we know where Elisha is. In fact, he's down there in Dothan. And so the, or the king of Syria, he said, okay, we're going to get our things, and we're going to go down there to Dothan, and we're going to get Elisha. And then from there on, there on out, we're going to be okay against the, the people of Israel. So that's what they did. They, the king sent this great army of men and their horses and their chariots, and they made their way down there to Dothan, and they surrounded that city at night. Well, morning came, and the scene kind of changes there in, in Dothan, because now we are brought to, uh, to the attention of a servant of Elisha. And he came out one morning, and what he saw that was gathered around Dothan was a, a sight to behold. 
because it took him by surprise that we, we're surrounded by the enemy. What are we going to do? And so what he does, he rushes back in and he tells Elisha, he says, what are we going to do about this? And Elisha, when he comes out, Elisha, he's not too worried about the situation. In fact, he's pretty calm and collected. And it wasn't because he knew of some secret way of escape out of the city or uh, some incredible defense plan. But the reason why he was so confident was because he could see something that the others couldn't. Elisha could see the invisible. And so he told his servant, don't be afraid. And the reason why you shouldn't be afraid is because we got more on our side than they do on their side. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were that servant, the first thing going through my head would be, what are you talking about, Elisha? There is no way that us here in Dothan outnumber this entire army that surrounded us. I mean, you, you miscalculated, Elisha. I mean, look at all those soldiers. We have no chance. And I could just imagine how the servant must have felt when Elisha told him this, but Elisha went on. And as we read in verse number 17, I want to read verse number 17. Where, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. <laughs> now we can see. The servant could now see why Elisha was so confident they could win this battle. It was because he could now see the army of God encircling them and ready to do battle against the Syrians. And if only the Syrian army knew what, what was right behind them. If only they knew. They had no clue of what Elisha and his servant could see. Well, shortly after this, the Syrian army, they finally come down into the city. And again, you know who they're looking for? They're looking for Elisha. And so they marched down in there into Dothan, but their march into the city was all in vain due to what something Elisha did next. And in fact, verse number 18, when you look there, it says that Elisha prayed to the Lord that they may become blind, and guess what? They became blind that, that the Lord uh, granted his request by striking that entire army with blindness. Now, when it said that the Lord struck the Assyrians with blindness, I don't think that they became blind to the point where they couldn't see absolutely anything at all just because of how they are able to interact with others and what the events that happened afterwards. In fact, we see... Uh, that uh, um, we see, well, look at verse number 19, because when they approached Elisha, again, they were asking where Elisha was, and they asked the very man who they're looking for. And you know what? They didn't even recognize him or even know that that was Elisha. That was the very man that they came to get, and yet they're asking him, where's Elisha? <laughs> so in a way, they were blinded in the, in the respect that they did not recognize this man as being Elisha. And so Elisha told them, he said, you guys have made a mistake. You guys have come to the wrong city. 
In fact, I'll take you down to where Elisha is. It's just, it's just about 10 miles down the road to Samaria. And so, when you think about that, the, most likely the Syrians were struck with blindness in the sense that they were unable to recognize most things around them. In fact, they, were, they didn't realize that they were in Dothan, so they didn't recognize that, and so they were struck with blindness in that respect. And so Elisha, he leads them on to Samaria, which at that time was the capital of Israel. And when they reached the city, Elisha prayed to the Lord again. But on this time, when Elisha prayed to the Lord, this time he asked the Lord to open their eyes so that they could see or that they could recognize their surroundings. And so that's exactly what the Lord did. He opened the eyes of the enemy and the Syrians saw, oh no, we're in Samaria. And we're in with the enemy. In fact, now we're the ones who are surrounded and we're the ones who are outnumbered. Totally different circumstance now. The Israelites have them. Now the king of Israel, oh, he got so excited. In fact, in verse number 21, he comes over to Elisha. He says, he says what should we do? Should we strike him down right here and then? And with the king of Israel having the enemy in his hand, perhaps he's thinking, we don't have to suffer from these people anymore. Let's get it over with right now. That's why he asked Elisha, the great prophet, shall we strike him down right now? What does Elisha tell him? Does Elisha say, sure, let's do that so that God's people will not have to suffer anymore from the hands of their enemies? No. You know what Elisha said? He said, give them food and water and send them on their way. Is that how you treat the, <laughs> is that how you combat the enemy? Is by feeding them and sending them off on their way? Well, yes, it worked in this particular circumstance because they, they got this big old feast together. They fed their enemies and they sent them off on their way. And from this, the Syrians gave up on their raids upon Israel. Isn't that remarkable? And I believe that they had learned an important lesson about the truth about God and his great power and his control over all things. And so that's all I want to talk about with this particular story. But from this event in the Bible, we can actually learn several things, especially when we reflect upon Elisha's servant and his reaction. And the first thing I want to mention this afternoon is that God's people can overcome fear. In fact, when you put yourself back in Elisha's servant's place for just a moment, just imagine that side of the surrounding army around that city and imagine how you would feel. Perhaps imagine how scared you would be and the fear that would come to you just seeing that and thinking, this is it. I'm dying today, and if I'm not dying today, well, I'm going to be held captive, and who knows how long I'll be held, held captive. I mean, imagine that fear. And so the servant felt intimidated by that large army, and it led him to that fear of what they could do to him. But once his eyes were opened to see God's army and how the Syrians were, were the ones who were outnumbered, it really changed him. It made him feel better and confident in the Lord that, that, and his might. And it tells me 
that intimidating odds and, and visible obstacles should mean nothing to God's people. In fact, sometimes overcoming obstacles in our way might seem difficult and we might fear some, some things at times because of that. But as God's people, we are able to see the invisible. And we are able to understand that it doesn't matter what the odds might be or how big or how difficult the obstacle is. The reason why? It's because we have someone on our side. We've got the Lord on our side, don't we? And I appreciate what John wrote. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. How or why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's how we could overcome. Because we have God on our side. You know, there's a story of a young prince who was terrified of the sea. So some of, the, some of the other guys decided that they were going to cure, cure him of his fear by picking him up and tossing him into the water. So they did that, and they saw him struggle in that water, but he finally made it back to the shore. And I mean, he, they, the story says that he was screaming, he was crying, and he ran away from, the, from those waves as fast as he could. And finally, after he had calmed down, they, they asked him, why, why are you so afraid of the sea? After all, he could stand near soldiers and, and, and their loud cannons and not even flinch. So why would the water scare him so much? Well, the young prince thought for a moment and he said, It's because I'm in command of the soldiers, but I'm not in command of the sea. And you see, like the prince, we all have our seas of fears. We, can't, but the, we have things that, that come up in our lives that we simply can't control. And we have no command of. I mean, we cannot control the thoughts of others, and so sometimes we fear of what people might think about us. We can't control our future, so we, we fear sometimes fear what tomorrow might bring for us. We can't control the economy, so we fear whether we're going to have a job in the upcoming days or, or weeks or months or, or year. And we sometimes we fear if we're ever going to make it with our finances because of the economy. There are so many things that we have no control over in this world. But when Elisha was thrown into the situation that he could not control with that Syrian army surrounding the city, again, he stayed calm and he had a peace of mind simply because he knew who was really in control. And I think that's a key. He knew God was going to take care of it somehow, but God was going to take care of it. How much do you trust God? I mean, how confident are you that you can rely upon him in difficult situations? How confident are you that you're going to get by to the next month on finances? How confident are you it may be a circumstance where someone's health is, is failing. And we don't know whether to blame God or, or what. How confident are you in God? In whatever troublesome times you have in your life. 
Well, there are several passages that give us assurance of him and actually help us to trust in him so that we can see the invisible and realize his presence. In fact, David wrote this. I like what David wrote when he wrote the 27th Psalm. And it says this in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He goes on to say, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he goes on to say, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army, army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And we know David went through some troublesome times in his life. He was on the run for a lot of his life because of King Saul and the threats that he was receiving because of King Saul. And yet he still relied on the Lord in those tough times, didn't he? Look at what Jeremiah wrote. When he says in chapter 32, in his declaration to God as he is praying, Jeremiah 32, I want to begin in verse number 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And then he says, there is nothing too hard for you. You get that? There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. There is nothing too hard for God, as Jeremiah declares. And we might think that we might be in a tough situation, but that is not too hard for God. It isn't. One last thing, the red writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 say, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Notice here the reason for us to be content. He says the reason is because God will never leave us or forsake us. And so what's the application? He says we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the confidence that we need in our life. To be able to see God, see the invisible, and see how he can help us out. And how do we do that? Looking to his word. Again, the songs that we sing. Looking up. Looking to his word. Listening to the words of Jesus. That's how we're able to see the invisible. So we have to understand, the more we know God, the more we will trust and rely upon him and be confident that he's going to take care of our needs. And the less we will fear of what tomorrow may bring or whatever difficulty we might face. And this leads me to the next point about this story and about God. Is that God will provide help. He will. You know, when the Israels were surrounded by the enemy, Elisha was able to see the invisible and realize God had provided his army to help his people. 
and God has provided help to his people time and time again throughout history, and he even does the same for us today. And there is a promise that's given to us by Paul over in the book of Romans. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read quite a bit from Romans chapter 8 because there is a great thing that Paul tells us here about what he provides and how he, how he helps us in whatever troubles that we can face in our life. I want to begin with verse number, 20, uh, number 18, rather. Romans 8, beginning of verse number 18. He establishes this fact that we all go through hardships, beginning of eight, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about us now, Christians in particular, even we ourselves within ourselves, even uh, we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And so Paul establishes here that we all go through struggles. Everyone goes through struggles. Even Christians go through struggles and, and, through, and through hardships. It's a fact. So stating that fact, now he goes on and he gives us a list of things that could help us and give us hope. Number one, look at verses 24 and 25. For we are saved in this hope. A hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He says here that we are saved by hope. That's one thing to keep in mind. And we know that there's a reward in the end. We hope for heaven. We hope for that final resurrection. So understand that, that there is that hope that lies beyond. Number two, look at verses 26 and 27 now. He goes on to say we have the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to, will of, to the will of God. And so Paul establishes, number two, that the Holy Spirit helps in our sufferings. I mean, he can help us pray for something that we really don't know what to pray for in a particular circumstance. It could be a person who is suffering on their deathbed, perhaps. And we don't know whether to pray for a prolonged life or the Lord to come quickly for them. We don't know. But the Holy Spirit helps in those moments. But, we have, but that is an assurance that Paul tells us here. He goes on to number 3, verses 28 through 30. He says that no matter what, all things work together for good. Because of verse number 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, 
These he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And there are several reasons for this. It's because we have been saved, and all this has been predestined in Jesus Christ. And we are glorified as long as we remain faithful and hold fast to the Lord. And that not only do all things work together for good, but number four, look at verse number 31 now. He reminds us, as we've already seen, God is for us. He's on our side. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, not with him also, freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And what a grand promise that, that Paul tells us here. Again, we're not alone. When we face tough times, God is there. And it's all possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And by his death on the cross, we have hope and confidence that, our God, that God is on our side when we need him most in our life. But there's a fifth and final thing that he mentions here about how he protects us. And that's about Christ. Look at verse 34 through the end. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also, listen here, what does Christ do? He makes intercession for us. And then he asks some questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Those are all tough times in a person's life. Shall those things ever separate us from the love of Christ? Well, he goes on to say, and it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, what are we? He says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you may face in this life, nothing is able to separate you from Christ. Because that's the power of Christ. He will never let go of our hand. In fact, if we are ever separated from Christ, it is us who lets go of him. But he will hold on. If we persevere, he will hold on. And I love this, this passage here, Romans 8, because we have all these things that should encourage us that no matter what life may bring us, we are able to see the invisible and understand we've got God, we've got Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit to help us. And we understand there's a hope that lies on beyond of what this world brings. And that should drive us to stay with it and don't lose hope. Just as this servant, he lost hope at, at first. But once he saw the overall picture, then he understood, didn't he? He understood. When we talk about this God who provided this army for the people of Israel, 
and for Elisha and for those people there in Dothan. That is the same God whom we serve. And we praise him for his work and we praise him for his strength and for his control and his mercy. And that's the same God who is here with us as we worship him right now. Isn't that great? Praise be to him because of how wonderful he is. So as long as we place our trust and confidence of him, someday we will ultimately see the invisible in eternity in heaven. Yes, we've never seen it, but we have confidence that there is a heaven because God is faithful of what he has promised. And we know that one day when we get there, we will fully realize that God was with us all along in this life. Let us never lose sight of that very thing. And so what I have spoken about this afternoon, I hope is encouraging to you and would lift you up that no matter what happens in your life, you can make it. Stay in prayer. Stay in his will. And stay in his word. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.